How many of you are into New Year's resolutions? Just raise your hand. You, you make a practice of doing that. That's all right. I've never really been into them that much because uh, I prefer to not set myself up for failure, which is what usually happens when I do attempt one of them. But I do think that a day like today uh, should be a day where we ask questions like, what do I want 2012 to look like in my life? Uh, What would be different if I could change something from 2011? What would I change in 2012? Those are definitely questions worth considering on a day like today. And it was really with those questions in mind that as we went away as pastors to plan for the Sunday morning services this next year in 2012, uh, we sensed that God wanted us. what, What do we want to do in 2012, Lord? Where do you want us to go? Well, to your relief, we still sense that God wants us to declare war on shallow Christianity. We didn't have any new insight. So the question became, though, how do we do that with even more purpose this year? What kind of ways can we declare this war on shallowness that each of us struggle with? Now, one of the answers uh, that we all were in unity and agreement with is that we needed to spend a large chunk of this next year studying the deepest person who has ever lived, Jesus Christ. And so you may have already heard about this, but we're actually going to be doing a 40-week series through the Gospel of John in 2012. Now, not since I've been here have we done any series in that sort of length, but we thought, what better way to encounter shallowness as Jesus encounters people uh, while He lived here on earth and look in a mirror and see it in ourselves. We are convinced that as we look at Jesus, we will be called out into a deeper way of living. So I really hope that you're looking forward to that series, because uh, I know I am, and, and Jeff is, and Brian are. We're all excited about being able to camp out in the Gospel of John. Now, before we go there, though, that's starting at the end of this month, we also talked about this question. What would, in someone, what would it look like for somebody to intentionally, on January 1st, 2012, to say, I'm going to go after maturity in my life. I'm going to go after growth in my life this year like never before. What would that look like? And so starting this week, as you can see on the graphic up there on the screen there, is we're starting a series called Declaring War with These Four. And all that means is we are going to suggest to you, if your goal in 2012 is to grow in your relationship with Christ, to deepen in your relationship with Christ, to continue to declare war on shallow that exists in each and every one of us, we want to suggest to you four things that we think are essential practices for you to consider for you to do that. Now, there are obviously more than four things we could have talked about, but as your pastors, and by the way, each of us are going to speak on it, Jeff and Brian and myself, we're each speaking uh, throughout this series of the words that mean a lot to us here, these practices, and so I get to go first with this word that means a lot to me, but we believe these practices, if you're following on your notes, these four practices can help us grow in maturity in 2012. So are you ready for the first one? Well, here it is. We can declare war on shallow Christianity in 2012. Drum roll, please. When we abide. Isn't that a letdown? (laughs) Abide? I mean, I got some grief this week about choosing this uh, as the word I wanted to speak on, right? We're declaring war on shallow Christianity. Abide. (laughs) It sounds so passive and week. I got to tell you, that's exactly why I chose it. You see, I think as American Christians, 
we get so wrapped up in the stuff that we can do for the Lord. We miss the whole main point of our lives with Him. You know, I don't often have God speak to me clearly and directly. You know, Jeff loves to use that line across the ticker of my mind, but it wasn't so long ago where I knew the Lord was speaking directly to me. And these are the words that He said to me. He said, Steve, you're so busy doing things for me. Is that a danger for us as Christians? To get so wrapped up in doing all this stuff for the Lord? Is that a danger for me as a pastor? You better believe it. I can do all sorts of things for God. But as clear as day, he said, you've forgotten what I won't most want from you is for you to be with me. And that's a danger that we all face if we're not careful. If you're following, we can become experts at serving God. We can get really good at it, but miss being with Him, which is what He wants most from you in 2012. So this morning, let me just reiterate, the first step to declaring war on shallowness in our lives is not about anything we do, per se. It's about who we're with this next year. You see, Jesus didn't come to give us a whole new set of rules. A bunch of to-do lists, but that's what we sometimes reduce Christianity down to, isn't it? He came us, he came to free us from all that and to reconnect us to the primary relationship that we were intended to have as humans. The life that is pleasing to God, it's not following a set of rules or religious duties. He really only wants one thing from us. Namely, that we experience a life of relationship with Him. If you hear nothing else this morning, I just I would ask that you would just tune in right now. What God wants most for you, say your name right now. What God wants most for me, Steve, in 2012 is for me to enjoy my relationship with Him. That's it. That's His biggest desire, His biggest wish for your life, that you would enjoy Him. That you would enjoy the friendship, the relationship, the fellowship that He came to offer you And the key to that is this wonderful word we're going to look at called abide. I can tell you without any exaggeration, and you know sometimes we pastors can be prone to exaggerate, but this time I can tell you this, without any exaggeration, other than learning for the first time when my eyes were open that I was saved by God's grace alone through the death and resurrection of Christ, that there was nothing I did to earn His favor, His love, other than that, this word abide changed my life more dramatically than anything else because I was finally able to let go of trying so hard to please God. You know, I've told you I'm a recovering Pharisee. It was all about trying to earn God's love and His approval. Yes, I knew it in my head. I'm saved by grace alone, but I know what God really wanted. finally understood all he really wants from me is to be connected to him and then it's out of that relationship that everything else begins to flow all the stuff i tried to do so take your bibles turn them with me to john 15 we're going to be starting in verse one together if you don't have a bible we encourage you to grab the red one in the seat in front of you there you can find john 15 on page 700 and 64. In fact, if you don't have your own Bible, you're starting off this new year, we want to give you that one as a gift. Take it home. 
Come back to church because we're going to be using it. And that, that can be yours to start this year, God's word for you. But as you're turning there, let's pray and just ask that God would be the teacher this morning. Lord, you know how important this was in my life. And my hope, my prayer this whole week has been that even if you just reveal to one or two people here this morning how much you love them and you want to be connected to them, that that would be enough. I pray that 2012 could be the year where we understand it's about we're with you, not about what we do for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you keep turning to John 15, let me just set the stage, uh, set the context of this. Uh, It's the night before Jesus is arrested, the night before he's crucified, and it's in these final hours that he's spending his last moments with his disciples. So you think, you know, I'm going to have to say some pretty important stuff here. This is my last chance with these guys, and so it's on this night, you know, the Gospels all slow down. What did Jesus want to tell the disciples on this last night? It's on this last night. That Jesus washes his disciples' feet, right? And you remember the teaching he wanted them to get from that is you should do the same to each other. Your lives are to be lives of humble service to one another. It's on this last night that they took the Last Supper together, communion, which we get to celebrate together later on in this service. It's this last night Jesus prays over his disciples and his prayer specifically is for unity. And it's also on this last night, uh, in the passage we're looking at, that he teaches them what I would call, I think the whole point of this passage, is the key to a fruitful life. The key to a fruitful life, which, in my understanding, is what Christianity, mature Christianity, is really all about. It's about bearing fruit for God's glory. If you're following, Jesus says to the disciples and to us today that abiding is the key to growing from shallow into maturity. Abiding is the key to a fruit-bearing life. I've always liked to imagine this scene because it's just one of my favorites, as I told you. I, I always pictured it like, you know, Jesus and his disciples were up in the upper room. He's done some things up there. Now he is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Literally, they are walking through the streets of Jerusalem. They get outside of the city and they find themselves in a vineyard, which would have been very common around that area. And he stops and he says, guys, listen to me. I don't have much time left, so here's one of the most important things I want you to understand. And here's where we pick it up in John 15:1. Picture the disciples, you know, they're probably talking about the weather, the cubs, or whatever. Everything stops, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. If you've studied John before, uh, you know that this is Christ's final great, what we call, I am statement. I am statement where he uses the word that's used only for God, Yahweh. I am. He uses it seven times to say that I am God. I am the one who revealed himself to Moses that many years ago. And here he says, I am the true vine. Now you better believe whatever conversation the disciples were having, it stopped when he made that pronouncement. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel was often pictured as a vine that was meant to produce refreshing fruit for the nations, for the surrounding nations. That was the purpose of Israel. So what do you think Jesus is saying here by saying, I am the vine? He's saying, I am the fulfillment of all of that symbol suggests. I am the one and only who produces life. Verse 2. 
He, the Father, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Just look at that text right there. How important do you think fruit bearing is for us? Do you think Jesus cares about it? Does he want to see fruit being born out of our lives? Fruit is the only permanent deposit we can make here in heaven. Fruit is the main reason you were saved. Did you know that? Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus that they were created in Christ Jesus for good works, to bear fruit. Here today as Christ's church, it's not my church, it's not Jeff's church, it's Christ's church as His church, as Cherry Hills. It is His dream that we would bear much fruit for His glory right here in Springfield, that we as individuals would live remarkably abundant lives. Christianity is not a ticket to heaven. That's one of the benefits, isn't it? It's one of the things we rejoice in and we look forward to, but it is so much more than that. It is about living life to the full as we bring glory to God by bearing much fruit in our lives. In practical terms, you know, what's fruit? It can be anything. Fruit can be anything that brings glory to God. It could be a thought. It could be an attitude. It could be an action. It's just anything that God would value because it honors Him. You know, you can bear inward fruit, right? As you begin to grow in what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. As I get better at loving and patience and kindness and joy, I am bearing fruit and that pleases God. It brings Him glory. But we also bear outward fruit. That is the purpose of the church, right? We are to go into the world and show and tell the Gospel. And there will be fruit when we do that faithfully with His help. Listen. Too often we've thought of fruit bearing that's like reserved for those special kinds of Christians. Let's leave that up to the professionals. They can bear the fruit. That's a shallow view of Christianity. Every believer is destined to bear fruit. It is our purpose. In fact, if you're following on your notes, the proof of discipleship, it's just a fancy word of saying, the proof that you really are following Christ is bearing fruit. Jesus is clear on this all throughout His life, right? An absolutely fruitless life is just evidence that you're not really a believer. It's it's shallow. Jesus left no room for His followers to be fruitless. So will you join me in this year of declaring war on fruitless Christianity? Jesus wants us to grow and to mature and He wants us to bear fruit. That brings Him glory. But here comes to me one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. And this is where I stumbled so much in my life and I beg you not to make the same mistakes I have. Maybe you have. Maybe you resonate with me when I say I used to read these verses and what I'd do is I'd read them and go, okay, i got to try harder. So today, today, I'm going to be more patient. Yes, patience. That's the thing I'm going for today. I'm going to bear patient fruit. You know how well that went, right? In about ten minutes, I'm frustrated. Or today is the day I'm sharing my faith with my neighbor. I don't care if I have to force it down their face. I'm sure they really appreciated it. And what I would happen is I think, okay, I just got to try really, 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 really hard to please God and to bear this kind of fruit. And that would always leave me frustrated, 
disappointed. I'd read the Gospels and Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. And I'd go, no, I don't. That's not how it feels. It feels like a burden. It feels like guilt. I wish I had read on. Verses 4 and 5 of this passage, because Jesus says, listen, bearing fruit in your life has nothing to do with trying harder. Would you read it out loud with me on your notes there? He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I grew up in Northern California. So I'm pretty familiar with vineyards, uh, just as the disciples uh, would have been. But I'm going to assume you're probably not, even though we uh, grew up in the lush wine country of Sangamon Valley here. That's where we're living right now. So just to help us out here, here is a picture of a vine bearing grapes, of a branch connected to a vine bearing grapes. And if you look at it, study it, it's just like Jesus described, right? Those branches are attached. You see the vine in the middle there. And the result is that the branches are bearing fruit. But you know what makes that all happen? It's all about what's flowing from the vine into the branch. You see, if you were to cut off that branch right now from that tree, the fruit would stop growing. And eventually that branch would die, but because they are connected to each other, it is alive and well. You know what the key is to that whole thing? It's that stuff you're looking at right now. It's called sap. That's a vine... That has been cut and you can see the life flowing power of the sap that goes into the branches which ultimately helps produce the fruit. When a branch is connected to a vine, sap flows and sap is what produces the fruit. That is your horticultural lesson for today. If you are on winter break and you're a student, I apologize for that. But I hope you see Jesus is brilliant, isn't he? Agree, he is brilliant. What an incredible image to leave us with. He's saying, look, you can't bear fruit for me unless you stay connected to me. It is only when you are abiding in me that my life-giving power will flow in and through your life and you'll experience the most rewarding relationship with me possible and you will begin to bear abundant fruit. The word John uses here for abide, it's an ongoing command. That is... Just like sap, it's supposed to be constantly flowing in and out of our lives. If you're following there, abide means to stay constantly connected to the source of life. To stay constantly connected to the source of life. If you stay connected to me, Jesus says, if you draw your spiritual nourishment from me like sap, if you're... if you allow the power that I want to give you to flow into your life by just remaining Connected to me here, nothing's going to hold you back. Nothing will hold you back from living the most abundant life possible. You will not stay in shallow. Do you see how simple growing in Christ really is? Why do we make it so complicated? I mean, it's not about me trying harder. That does nothing but frustrate me. And I imagine it frustrates the Lord too. When is He going to get it? The key to an abundant life, to 
to producing the kind of fruit that bring God's glory is just remain connected to Him. Attach yourself to Him and everything else will flow out of that. As I said, this was life-changing for me when I finally actually got it. I mean, I could read it, but I didn't get it. Even though Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing there. I've learned from experience through trial and error. That's actually not true. There's a lot of things I can do apart from Him. I can work a job. I can raise a family. I can even pastor a church apart from Christ. But there's no fruit in that. There's no joy in that. It becomes, like I said, this sort of works righteousness where I try really, really hard to earn God's approval, to earn God's favor, but I constantly end up getting frustrated and disappointed in my lack of growth. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about. Well, Jesus would say to us this morning, calm down. You're missing the point. Growth will come naturally in your life if you just stay connected to me. The way I have often thought of it since, if you're following, is my only work, and that's in quotes, my only work, my only job, is to stay connected to Jesus. Our God has done all the work for us. Amen? All He wants for you in 2012 is to enjoy a relationship with Him. To abide in Him. How great is that? He'll take care of the rest. That's when Jesus says, I've come and you might have life and have it to the full. Now I get it. I'm just like a a power cord. I'm useless on my own, but when I plug into the socket, that's when my life begins to come alive. That's when I live life to the full. And so, of course, I hope the question you're asking is, how do we do this? How how do I abide in Christ? How do I get that life-giving sap that He wants me to have so that I grow in maturity in 2012? Well, the answer to that is, on your notes, we abide by arranging our lives around spiritual disciplines. By arranging our lives around spiritual disciplines. Now, I know what you're thinking. I knew it. He tricked me. It is work. I guess what I would say is, yes, if you view it that way, spiritual discipline certainly can become a type of work where they can become this thing where once again, I start trying to earn God's love and God's approval. Check, I did that discipline. Aren't you happy with me now? But they're not away. They're not meant for us to earn God's love or approval. They're simply a way. They're simply practices that help us stay connected to the source of our life. Listen, you're not going to walk outside after church this morning into that field and all of a sudden, wow, there's a vineyard here. It's producing all kinds of fruit. It's amazing how it just happened out of thin air. And yet, so often as Christians, we think that's what it's supposed to be like in my spiritual life. I'm just going to wake up tomorrow morning. Ha, I'm mature. I've arrived. No, it takes cultivation. It takes training. It takes practices. I wish starting this morning, we started a revolution here at Cherry Hills. Instead of calling these spiritual disciplines, we called them spiritual graces. Because that's all they are. They are opportunities that God has given each and every one of us in order to connect to Him. Just like the branch is connected to the vine. 
just another grace. It's another grace that allows us to abide in Him. Or if you're following on your notes there, spiritual disciplines are any activity, any activity that could connect me with the Lord. How many of you believe this, though? I believe this for my whole life. You know, well, those disciplines are for spiritual giants. Those are for people who live in monasteries and can give their whole lives to that kind of stuff. That's never what they were intended to be. They were always meant to be for ordinary people, people who have jobs, people who raise kids, people who go to the grocery store, people who wash dishes and mow lawns, people like us. I want you to imagine if, let's say you were one of my friends here, and I told you one of my New Year's resolutions is that I want to run a marathon this year. And so... If you were a good friend, you would probably say something like, oh, that's great, I'll be cheering you on. Like, what's your, what's your training program? What's your, what kind of disciplines are you going to do in order to get ready for that? And I said, what? I'm just showing up. <laughs> I, I'm just going to go for it, 26.2. You'd say, you're crazy. You have no chance. You'll be lucky if you make 10 miles. It's the same thing with our spiritual lives, right? <laughs> I want to declare war on shallow Christianity. Okay. What kind of training are you doing? What kind of disciplines are you implementing? Paul uses metaphors all throughout his letters. Like the growth happens because we're supposed to be like athletes, like soldiers, like farmers. Each of those illustrated takes some effort on our part. Even if you were to do a quick survey of the Gospels, the, you know, you read Jesus' life. Does he practice some of these? Of course he does. He understands that if I want to be connected to the Father, I have to put myself in positions where I can receive power from him. And so he practices a lot of the ones we're going to mention here today. Yet I believe in the American church we have bought this illusion that I can be like Christ without imitating his practices. That's what shallow is. It's thinking... If I just go to church twice a month, which is the average for an American Christian, if I pray before dinner every night, poof, maturity. That's never going to win the war. It's as absurd as me thinking I could run a marathon without training. No, if we want to grow and mature in 2012, if you don't, shut it off right now. That's okay. I know you're tired. But if you do want to grow, if you really do want to mature, then it's going to mean implementing certain practices in your life to allow God's grace and power to flow through you. So as we start 2012, I'm going to mention six practices I think Jesus might have practiced as He abided in the Father, and I'm going to challenge you to ask, will I do some of these? This is my wish for you as a pastor, that you would see this as an opportunity, not as like this guilt thing, oh, okay, here comes another work, it's just an opportunity. For me to be connected to Christ. It's another way that he has given me grace. So the first discipline I want to mention. This one might surprise you. Is solitude. Solitude. I really think solitude is the foundation for all the other disciplines. And the reason I start uh, with it. Is because it's so fundamental. The only idea here behind solitude. Which is what I'm talking about here. Is that solitude is where we intentionally move away from our normal routines throughout the day and we set aside some time to be with God. That's what I mean by solitude. If you're following on your notes there, it's removing ourselves from our normal routine to spend time with God. 
every day saying, I am going to give you this 10 minutes, this 30 minutes, this one hour, whatever it is for you, intentionally saying, that's your time. That's our time, Lord. Maybe the language we might be more familiar with today is developing a quiet time. A quiet time. Uh, If you were to read the gospel sometimes, you would see that this was a regular part of Jesus' routine, an indispensable practice in his life. In Luke 5.16, we read this. Read it out loud with me. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He got away by himself to be with his Father. Once we get that practice down, you're like, okay, non-negotiable every day. That's when we can begin to practice some of these other uh, disciplines. That's why I say that's the first one. You've got to get that one right. And then we can move on to uh, ones like number two here, the discipline of prayer. Prayer. Prayer is nothing less than personal communion with the living God. Now you know why I call it grace. The discipline of grace. Can you believe that God wants to have a conversation with you? With me. That's nothing but God's grace in my life. He wants me to share my heart and my burdens with Him. He wants to bring my requests and confess my sins and my short and my failures. God wants that from us. He is a good God. Now let me ask you, do you have trouble keeping a regular time of prayer? You're not alone. You're not alone. Again, Here's what I'd like you to understand. though. Just like running a marathon would take training, prayer is something that needs to be practiced and developed over time. Don't be frustrated like, okay, today's the day, I'm going to go pray. And you stumble all over your words and you go, forget it, I'm a failure. All Jesus wants is for you to be yourself before Him. Just bring Him your heart. I mean, in fact, He got angry with people who tried to be all eloquent when they prayed, right? That's not what I want. I want you. I just want you to have a conversation with me. Some of the ways we've talked about this in the past, if you flip over your notes, one of the most helpful things in my life has been this model of prayer called the Acts Prayer. It's based off of the Lord's Prayer. You remember the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray because what you got going on with the Father ain't what we got going on. And we want that. And so he gives them the Lord's Prayer. And this Acts model is just a way to kind of frame a time of prayer for you. If you want to get better at it, it's going to take time. But start with adoration. Hallowed be your name, Jesus said. What do you appreciate about the Lord? It is His grace, His mercy, His goodness, His faithfulness, His love, His justice. Just spend some time praising Him. And then confess. He already knows it, so don't worry about it. Just confess, Lord, this is where I've fallen short. And then thank Him, not only for His forgiveness, but for all the benefits God gives us that we so easily take for granted. Our health, our homes, the fact that we have clean water, abundance of food, on and on and on. And then S, that's when we bring our supplications, or that's just another way of saying our requests. But that's where so many of us start, isn't it? God, I want this and I want that, like He's a vending machine. I pop in my prayer and boom. And let's spend some time before Him, before we bring our requests. And then that last one, it's a good idea at the end of prayer just to submit. Lord, I'm yours today. Wherever you lead me, I want to, I want to be open and available to where you are. Again, you're not going to be great at it right away. 
But over practice and time and training, you will get better and more comfortable and more comfortable. Another opportunity I would just su- suggest to you, you notice on your notes there back on the front, I referenced Psalm 1 through 150. That is not a typo. The book of Psalms is a book of prayers. And I can't tell you how many times in my life where I just don't feel uh, like I have the adequate words to express my heart to God in prayer, and I'll just open up the psalm book. And David, or Asaph, has written something that expresses exactly how I feel. It is legal for me to steal their prayers and pray them. That might be a good thing for you. If prayer is something you'd like to get better at, read the psalm this year. Now, closely related to prayer is number three on your notes, which is silence. Silence. Silence is just another form of prayer. But instead of us doing all the talking, which is what my prayer life sometimes turns into, God, i got all this stuff to say. Silence is giving God an opportunity, giving God some space to speak into my life. I mean, imagine right now a married couple where only one spouse did all the talking. Some of you should not answer that. <laughs> That's not a relationship. Similarly, silence is making space in my life to allow God to speak to me. Read Psalm 46, verse 10 out loud on your notes there. It says, Be still and know that I am God. How easy is that for you? Just to be still and sit in silence. We stink at this, don't we? We stink at this. We are so busy today. We are surrounded constantly by noise by media, by all these things. I mean, have you ever tried just to sit five minutes in silence? It's, it's brutal. And if you started practicing this, you're going to learn. I mean, this is what happens. I, I've been there. Oh, i got to go do this. To, oh, whoops, I'm supposed to be silent. Oh, i got, I got this to do. Oh, oh, silent. I'm just listening. And again, it takes practice. It takes time. Can I offer you one very practical way for you to experience this discipline of silence, this grace of silence? What about when you get in your car in the morning, instead of turning on the radio, which we all automatically do, you drive to work, you drive to the store, you drive to wherever you're going, in silence. You just let God have some room to speak to you, and you listen to Him. Again, it'll be brutal at first. But eventually you will gain some benefit from that discipline. Fourth discipline, again, this one also relates to prayer, is journaling. Journaling. Uh, i got to confess to you, I am not much of a journaler. Uh, most of that is because I never really understood what it was. I always thought it was like, Dear Diary, today I got my hair cut. <laughs> and boy, do I look good. But I read a book this year that really helped me understand journaling this way. A journal is a dialogue with the soul. It includes a record of events. Yeah, talk about your day. But it also attempts to expose the significance of those events. In other words, journaling is where we actually take time at the end of our day usually to ask questions like, what was God trying to say to me today through whatever it is I went through? What can I learn from that experience? How did that make me feel? Of course, some of you want to say, well, the Bible never uses the word journal. So I don't have to do that. You're right. You got me. But the Bible does use a word all the time. In fact, Jesus said it for what we're about to partake later. It's this word called remember. 
It's a command to remember. Remember me. Remember what I've done in your life, Israel. Take time to remember. All journaling is is setting aside some time to remember how God was at work in my life this week. And the more we do it, the more we'll begin to see some patterns of, this is where you need to grow, Steve. Can't you see this is coming up every day over and over and over again? Or this is where my grace has been evident in your life. Will you recognize that? Will you praise me for that? Two more. I'd really like you to try this here. This last one won't, or this next one won't surprise you in the least bit. In fact, if you've been coming to Cherry Hills for any length of time, you've been sitting here this whole morning, haven't you, going, when's it coming? When's it coming? When's it coming? Here it's coming. Study God's Word. Read the Bible. Read the Bible this year. Study God's Word. This discipline is pivotal to our spiritual nourishment and growth. It's like fertilizer to our soul. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Wow! The Bible does all that? Yeah, it does. So will you give yourself to it this year? It enhances our relationship with God like nothing else. The problem I've seen in my nine and a half years as a pastor, though, is that most people become so daunted by the idea of studying the Bible on their own. So, well, what do I do? I just like open it up to Genesis 1-1 on January 1st and start? It depends, is my answer. It depends on where you are. We say this every year. I'm going to say it again. We recommend you have got to have a plan in place that works for you. If you want to read the Bible, if you want to take this discipline seriously, you've got to have a plan in place that works for you. In other words, first of all, know yourself. Where are you on this spiritual journey with Christ? Then maybe you, if you're not as mature as you want to be yet, maybe you need to start somewhere differently than somebody up here. That's okay. But then formulate a plan to help you in that. I know myself well enough and I know you well enough that I can have every intention in the world to start 2012 by being in the Bible every day, but if I don't have a plan, it's not happening. It'll last like a week. And then we go back to that whole, I'm frustrated and disappointed in myself. Sorry, God, I'm trying to bear fruit on my own. But God's Word can be a, a source of life and light and joy to us. We just have to be intentional about a plan. So on the back of your notes again, we put it there every year. There's a whole bunch of opportunities and ways for you to do that. You can do anything from the Bible in 90 days, which I think is a great way to see the story, of God's redemption story from beginning to end. But you might not be ready for that. That's okay. There are other opportunities. Maybe the Bible in a year this year. Maybe just the New Testament in a year this year. That's great. Uh, maybe you want to do what I did this last year. You want to, instead of going for breadth, you want to go for depth. I spent the entire year of 2011 studying two books of the Bible, Genesis and John. That's it. There are great resources if that's the way you want to go. Great teachers like Beth Moore, Bob Warren, and others who have helped write these curriculum that can help us study God's Word. The key again, though, is get a plan and stick with it and make it work for you. 
Last discipline I'd really like you to try this year, and I have to admit I almost didn't include this one, but I felt that I should. It's fasting. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Come on, let's admit it. Remember when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, and when you fast, gosh, I wish that said, and if you fast, I think in our culture today where we are just, ah, we have so much, don't we? So much. Fasting isn't a when, it is much more of an if. Am I right? But maybe that's all the more reason we need to do it this year. Fasting, uh, let me just dispel any fears you might have. Fasting is simply abstaining from something in order to focus on God for a more intensified time. Yes, mostly it's food, but you can fast from anything. What would it be like if your family decided this year we're going to fast a week from TV? Whew. Some of your hearts are beating really fast right now. Like, but you think you would learn some stuff as a family if you were to do that? Uh, maybe this is the year you need to try a 24-hour fast from food. Again, I'm just going to tell you, just like running a marathon, you know what that first time is going to be like? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. That's all I can think about. I'm hungry. I didn't get anything from that. But then the more you do it, and the more you practice it, the more benefit you will begin to receive from it. Friends, there's so many other disciplines I could have mentioned this morning. Fellowship, service, those are actually two we're going to look at later on in this series, but those are six things I have found to be helpful for me as I seek to abide in Christ, and I hope they might do the same for you this year. The question is, will I choose to abide in Him by practicing these disciplines? Will I choose to abide in Him this year by practicing these disciplines? Dr. Oswald Chambers, some of you are familiar with him, he wrote the book My Utmost for His Highest, the devotional classic. He once said this, would you read his quote out loud with me? says, each of us is as close to God as we choose to be. Just let that sink in for a minute. The question I want to leave us with this morning is, how close to the Lord do I really want to be in 2012? On your notes, how close to the Lord do I really want to be? That is not a guilt question. It's a grace question. Because the God of the universe wants nothing more than for you to be close to Him. He wants you to enjoy your relationship with Him this year. Jesus promised, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. As one of your pastors, it is my desire as we start this new year together that you could experience that kind of abundant life. And the key to that is abiding in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege it is to serve at this church where so many are interested in growing and learning, where we can open up your word freely and learn from that. And Lord, I have great expectations, not only for my life, but for the life of our church here, for Cherry Hills in 2012. I have expectations that this might be a year of phenomenal growth in our lives. Not because of anything we do for you. Because this is the year when we might fully understand that it's all about staying connected to you.
That's what you want most for each and every one of us in this room. May we go seeing these things as graces that you've given us for that, not as more works. I pray it in your son's name. Amen.